This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Christoph Jentz is a theoretical physicist and high-performance computing expert. The road to co-founding Slocket led Christoph through the world of mining, to testing the Ethereum codebase, to developing the DAO concept to its most advanced state. In this episode, we cover not only the Internet of Things, but also the challenges of creating a new model for online community entrepreneurship. First of all, it's amazing to have you here, Christoph. I've been looking forward to interviewing you for quite a while. I interviewed uh, Stefan back at the start of the year, um, might have even been on the 2nd of, of January, and um, and it, we had a great talk about uh, Slarkit and about the uh, the DAO and all of this stuff. And one thing that I was... I wanted to ask you, first of all, before we really get stuck in, is what is your primary interest at Slocket? You know, what inspires you about Slocket? Is it the DAO or is it the Internet of Things? Actually, really both. It's hard to say what's my favorite topic, but I have to say that decentralization of the sharing economy through IoT and also through the DO is all so interconnected, it's not really different topics. Because at the end, our goal is to have a decentralized sharing economy to completely automate the process of renting something out. And so this is IoT connected with blockchain. This is like the passion, that's the product we want to build. And although the DEO is something, it seems to be a very different, but on the other way, it's we will build those products for the DEO. And so it will become the decentralized sharing network, so to say. So the DEO will play a lot of roles and all of those things are really trailblazing the way we set up the business model and the company and the DO. So it's all very fascinating for me to see actually the power of blockchain involved and see actually what you can do with it from an organizational point of view, like the DO, how you organize something, but also from a technical point of view, the Internet of Things, how you can enable a car to pay for its electricity charging, how you can enable a simple padlock to be opened and closed by paying. So there are so the basically the application of blockchain, organizational, DEO, or technical, the IoT stuff. I think both are equally interesting and fascinating for me. So your background is in high performance computing and specialized hardware. Yes. And uh, and theoretical physics, I uh, I see. So what was the trajectory of thought or of interest that led you to Slocket? Mm, difficult to say. So basically, I was working on my PhD in theoretical physics, and I was programming GPUs, so graphic cards, um, to run simulations on them. So that's how I actually got into Bitcoin, because I found all those GPU miners and was interested in what they are doing. So then this was in 2013. And so 2014, I joined Ethereum. And for me, I was always interested in the real world applications and for me it was more on a technical level because I think cryptocurrencies and blockchain in general are still very far away from an end user. 
from mainstream. I think for them, it's very hard to grasp the idea behind it. It's sometimes it's not only not user friendly, but also the volatility of the price and many of those other things. I, it feels like the first day of the internet and only nerds and geeks could use it. But it is very useful for back end as backend stuff. And I think the blockchain can be the backend or the operating system, so to say, for the Internet of Things. And when people can just use a smartphone app and pay and a log opens, and this feature is a feature of the log itself, not provided by someone, not provided by another service provider. It's just a feature of a thing to be able to accept payments, to send payments, to enter into agreements and other things. I think this was very fascinating for me. And I think... You can reach the mainstream much quicker by enabling hardware or enabling those Internet of Things devices by the blockchain so that they become so useful that people want to use them even they don't know how things are going on behind or how this is done. So I thought that all the things we're doing in Ethereum are so complicated that the end user will not get it, but, they have, but this complicated um, stuff can enable a back-end infrastructure of the Internet of Things. I think this, I started working on this, yeah, end of 2014, and it just didn't let me go. I have had a very simple prototype built together with my brother about the door lock. It was so simple, actually, but still so powerful. The door lock had a capability of accepting a payment to, to open up. So I saw there's a lot of potential behind it. But it really has not really something to do with physics. That's, that's true. But as a physicist, you just like to get into the newest things. And that's basically what got me into Ethereum. Okay, so it's it's interesting to hear that you were working on special purpose hardware, and uh, and that is what got you into what uh, what developed your interest in Bitcoin. It seems like a strange way to um, to start becoming interested because most people had libertarian leanings or or some vision, um, you, you know, some technocentric vision of the future. But for you, it was <laughs> it was in your field in a certain sense. Yeah, it was basically, I wanted to buy a lot of GPUs as cheap as possible. And somehow I found those GPU miners having the same problem, getting cheap GPUs and a setup of many GPUs without having a lot of stuff around it, only a motherboard and GPUs. So that's how I get in contact with. So I didn't come from, from a like political point of view and to free the world of the Fed or something like this. So I, I'm a very pragmatic person. Just thinking about solving real problems with simple solutions. I think as a physicist, what you try to do is get formulas and solutions as easy as possible, especially as a theoretical physics. Um, you want to have equations and formulas which are simple, and then they are powerful, and then they are true. Like even Dirac, he, he has beautiful equations, and he once said they have to be true because they are so beautiful. And I also aim for having very simple solutions. And for me, smart contracts are just simply beautiful because they are usually not a lot of code, a simple idea, and you put it into like yeah, a couple of lines of code in the blockchain, and it is so powerful about what it can do. And I like the simplicity of Ethereum smart contracts and the power behind them, how they can decentralize a complete market or like work in the sharing economy or other things. So I'm very interested in having simple solutions for hard problems and i always strive to do things perfectly that's maybe also one reason why it took us so long for the do because i wanted the contract to be perfect that there's no attack vector open and i was testing them again and again because yes maybe i'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to smart contracts but i think that's 
that's what also got me so interested in Ethereum, the whole idea of having programmable, programmable smart contracts, which are very powerful. And this has a lot to do with physics in the sense of creating perfect formulas which describe a system. And if you set up, for example, the DO contracts, you basically set a, up like a constitution for this organization and there shouldn't be any flaw in it. There should be, you should think about any edge case and so, and, but still keep them very simple. So I don't add any feature which is not absolutely needed. It's only if it's security critical. And that's something I really love to do, actually, writing such smart contracts. It has a lot, lot of things to do with, with the work I did as a theoretical physics, physicist. So what was your involvement? You were involved with the Ethereum Foundation prior to Slockit. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I was joining in, I think, September 2014 as the tester or the lead tester. I was the one writing thousands of tests, which all the clients did use to check if their impl- protocol or their implementation was true to the protocol. Basically, I was reading the yellow paper written by Gavin Wood and designing tests around it, which were very generic tests, uh, mostly around the Ethereum virtual machine, but also around all the other topics. And then the Go client, the C++ client, the Python client, also the community clients such as Java, Haskell, and Ruby, and JavaScript. They, they basically did take my tests and run them if they didn't pass one of them, then they know they would have one consensus problem, which could lead to a fork one day. So they tried to fix it. So it basically was a specification of the protocol, which was first the yellow paper, of course, and paper and text. But I did specify it again as tests. And then the implementation just need to check if the tests are correct. So that's what I did for yeah, one and a half years, just writing tests, basically, and speaking about the protocol. If I found something as undefined, then we worked on a definition in the yellow paper so that we have every edge case defined. So you worked closely with Gavin Wood on the on the yellow paper. Yes, yeah, so I wouldn't, I'm not an author of the video paper. He really wrote it. I basically read it in detail, wrote tests for it. And if I didn't, if I found something undefined, I usually made a pull request to change this. And I wrote the last section of the yellow paper about ETH, the mining algorithm. I didn't invent this algorithm. I just formulated it in the yellow paper. So yes, you can see the pull request on yellow paper. I'm just number two and making commits and other stuff. Wow. So yes, I, I can say I, I understand the yellow paper in detail. I think there are not too many people around there who, are, who can <laughs> say this. So that's basically because my work was working on the protocol and making sure that all the clients are true to the protocol in their implementation. So could you tell us about the GPU mining algorithm that you designed for that you designed for Ethereum? What was I didn't I didn't design it. I just want to mention it. Okay. It was someone else designing it. I just wrote the specification in the yellow paper. Yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. Coming from a high performance computing background, how do you guys look at these mining algorithms and what do you see? What is, you know, they must be a very interesting new type of uh, new type of application or new new type of of program. I I wonder how are they interesting to a person with a background in high performance computing? They are very interesting because you have to look at where is the bottleneck, where is the hard work. And for the ETH algorithm, it's actually the I.O., the input-output to the memory. So reading, like in a GPU, you have a global memory sitting there where all those little, um, I should explain it easily. Basically, you have, you have something like massive computing power with a lot of little chips or computing units. And they're all getting their data from this global memory. And they also have a local cache, but this local cache is very small. So for ETH, we have something which we call a DAC, which we place in the global memory, which is around two gigabyte in size. So some, between two and three gigabytes, it's growing. And so they have to read data from there to compute something like a hash and to put it all together to get 
a valid block. So basically the bottleneck here is not in computation, but in reading from the memory. And that is something we have done, or the design, the one who designed eTash algorithm has done, um, in order to ensure that GPUs are always very the most favorable choice of hardware. Because for ASICs, it's very hard to optimize this part. Um, since this, this reading from, from the global memory is really optimized in GPUs, and maybe you can make a better version in ASICs, but it will A, cost you a lot of money, B, it takes a lot of time, and it will not be much better than the GPU. And therefore, we think it's a very safe algorithm to use, that it stays very decentralized, because everyone who has a decent GPU, like every gamer out there, can basically start mining, and we will not see the development of ASICs in the near future. That's what this algorithm is very good for and was focused on. So it's a very interesting one. Because you've gone from this, from developing high-performance computing applications to, to testing Ethereum code and your work with the mining algorithm, and, uh, and, and now Slocket, and also the Ethereum computer that you're developing in conjunction with the Slocket, uh, with the Slocket program. Is this track of, uh, of involvement a result of a lack of hardware experts in the field, do you think? I don't know. I think there's a lot of people are very interested in financial applications, but I'm not. I don't have a financial background, like in banking or something like this. So I'm not that interested in that part. Also, my expertise is just not in this direction. But I always like to play around with my Raspberry Pi and having my smart home here and doing things myself. And I just thought the Ethereum computer, which we are building right now really has a lot of interesting features, which I was I myself would would like to have one. That's actually first I. I'm starting to build it for myself. So I have a stable Ethereum node because if you just have it running on your laptop, you close your laptop, then you need to sync again. And for many applications, actually, you always need a running Ethereum client and you also need some Ether to pay transaction fees. So the, there's a lot of problems an average user needs to overcome to use any DAP or decentralized application. And the Ethereum computers try kind of solve this because you have a stable node running it's one which doesn't need much resources, doesn't need much energy, because it's just a, something very similar to a Raspberry Pi running there, actually a Samsung Arctic chip. And additionally, it can connect to all your smart devices in your home, so you can basically control them via a smart contract on the blockchain, for example, to rent out your apartment via the door lock, or we also can control the power outlet, so you can switch power on and off, so you can think about having a washing machine behind it and renting access to someone who pays via the blockchain to use your washing machine or whatever you have behind a power outlet. So this Ethereum computer basically becomes your A, your smart home server. It becomes your always-on stable Ethereum node. And also we can run a lot of different decentralized applications or systems such as IPFS, interplanetary file system. So you always have your IPFS client running and all your devices, such as your tablet, your mobile phone, your laptop, they can all exit it and don't need to run it themselves. So basically it becomes your, your hub, your own server in your home, which has connection to all those decentralized protocols, and um, even Whisper and Swarm when it's when they are finished the development process. It basically connects to all of them and you don't have this problem of setting it up. Because if you read on Reddit or on other forums, people have problems setting up an Ethereum client, keeping it running. Sometimes it does crash and they're not aware of it. Like all those problems. And also they need to get Ether from an exchange, which is also sometimes not easy for many people, just to interact with a decentralized application. But if we preload just a tiny amount of Ether on this Ethereum computer, it will be enough to pay for transaction fees 
for the next couple of years. So it's very easy to start going and use all the very nice applications which are now built on top of Ethereum. So therefore, I think the Ethereum computer will be a very easy entry point into the world of decentralized applications. And it's much easier for someone to go on Amazon and buy an Ethereum computer to get into this than for him to go and ex exchange, register, go to tier one, tier two, tier three, all of this just to get some ether, then to set up his running Ethereum client and then get going and using a decentralized application. So basically we want to take this away from him. And additionally, he can actually try to make money with his Ethereum computer by renting out yeah, his apartment. But also we are looking into renting out hardware space that you can connect unused hard drives to the Ethereum computer and renting out this space. So all of this, those kind of things can now be done with it. So I really love all those applications. It's fun building them. I've been speaking with a couple of guys of the guys at Consensus about MetaMask, the the Ethereum browser, and the um, and Uport, WaveFund, and Boardroom, and you find that there's this this synergy between all of these services that you know you cannot have one without the other, and it sounds like the Ethereum computer itself is the hardware element that is required to to attach the Ethereum protocol to um, uh, everyday experience. Absolutely. And especially we are using an operating system, which is called Ubuntu Core. And what it does for you or for, for actually for developers, it is used for the Ubuntu phone. And it's very similar to, for example, Android, that you can have different apps on it, which have nothing to do with each other, which don't share anything and which are very, very secure. So this means for Boardroom or Uport, they can basically write an app for the Ethereum computer. It's called a Snappy app for Ubuntu Core. And everyone can just install it there. And if they do so, they, they know they always have a running Ethereum client which they can access in their app. And so this makes it possible for all those apps now to be deployed to your Ethereum computer and you have access to all of them. And that's so nice because all the developers can easily now build apps for the Ethereum computer. So I think this will really help a lot of applications to take off. And if the Ethereum computer just will be the missing hardware link and also software link, because just you need to have a running IPFS client, running Ethereum client, and maybe other protocols. And we hope to achieve this goal, that to give people this tool so they can use all those decentralized applications, for example, developed by Consensus. Now, I have one more question about the Ethereum computer and its relationship with Slocket, the company, and the Slocket DAO. Now, I'm not 100% sure how the how the DAO and Slocket, the company, interact. Now, I understand that the DAO will hire the Slocket company to operate its its services and then take a uh, cut of the of every transaction, in a sense, levy a transaction fee for using the network. Now, what about sales of the Ethereum computer and... Uh, and operation of the, the Ethereum computer will will the Slocket DAO uh, profit from from that? So how did how did it work? You described it correctly. So the DAO will basically hire us, or we hope they will, by signing a proposal, by voting for it, to build the Ethereum computer for them. And everything which is rendered out through it, like we also have an app, um, they will get a, a fee from it. Or if they use it themselves, then they don't have to pay a fee for it. Basically, we develop this product for them. And if you pay in those tokens, DAO tokens, then you don't have to pay a fee. So it's their product. They can use it for free. And if more people want to use it for free, they need to buy those DAO tokens. And But if someone pays with something else, for example, with Ether, then they have to pay a fee to the DAO to be able to use it for renting something out. So that mean, doesn't mean for every app on the Ethereum computer, but for those apps which we develop as Slocket for renting out your washing machine, your whatever is behind a padlock, 
or your door lock or anything like this. So that's basically the deal between DAO and Slocket. Um, so when it comes to selling the Ethereum computer, everything will be open source. Meaning, yes, we will sell Ethereum computers and we may have a little bit of profit there, but actually everyone can just download the image for the um, SD card or for the storage. Everyone can go get and buy a Samsung Arctic and get a case and build it on their own. So this, therefore, since it's all open source, it's actually very hard to have a high margin or high profit on those products because everyone can make a tutorial on how to build your Ethereum computer. The real profit comes if the DEO rents out a product to other people so they can use it and they make this fee when someone yes rents out his apartment, for example. Then the DAO would get a fee for this. And this is basically how this deal works. But everything we do for the Ethereum computer will be completely open source. I hope this did make sense. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that there will not be a fee to use the DAO tokens, because that makes me think that if you had an exchange that you could automatically uh, funnel your transaction through so that you made the, uh, so that the transaction took place in the most favorable token, then you could avoid those transaction fees as a consumer. Exactly. But that, also, that also means yeah. you increase the value of DAO tokens because you need to buy them. Yeah. So that's, therefore, those things are like a, I, I, somehow I hate fees. But somehow it is the only way to make money. So I think the right thing here is that really the product is owned by the DAO. We are building this product for the DAO. They own it. And if they, meaning the token holders, use it, they don't pay a fee. And that's, that's the basic idea. And so therefore, if a lot of people want to use this network and want to use it for free, they will be part of the DAO and buy those tokens. So the network as a, as a whole increases in value. And if someone outside the DAO will use it, they have to pay a fee to the DAO in order to be able to use it. So I expect large users to just buy DAO tokens and joining the network, basically, in order to use it for free, and thereby also increasing the value of the network. And other ones may just say, I pay with Bitcoin or Ether and I don't mind to pay a fee um, to this DAO. So therefore, it's two ways how the DAO basically can profit from the process. But it's basically up to them. They actually can make the fee be 0%. So they can actually set the fee. It's not set by us, lock it. The DAO itself can choose how high the fee should be. So it's really all under control of the DAO. We are just building a product for them where they can set the parameters and they can decide how they use it and how they charge for other ones to use it. So I saw you tweeted about your involvement with RWE recently. Yes. So the, what this deal is about, there is a project called BlockCharge, which is developed together by RWE and us, basically a system to charge electric cars via the blockchain. So this is very useful. For example, if you have a car waiting at a red traffic light, it can be charged via induction. And this needs to be happen completely automatically. So the car needs to pay for its electricity. So we would have a chip in the car which runs in the client and pays in Ether and gets electricity. And this is basically we are paid by RWE to do this for them. And we have are currently still in negotiation how exactly the business model will look like in the future. So there's still a, little, a lot of things open. But yes, we are partnering up with them, but it has nothing to do currently at least with the DO or with the Ethereum computer. It's just this different project we are doing together with RWE. And there is also a lot of potential in this project to do all the electricity car charging station to connect them to the blockchain. Because today it's a very, very complicated system. There are a lot of different electricity providers. There are a lot of different car manufacturers. There are a lot of different types of contracts you can have to pay for your electricity. And it's so complicated, but if you have an easy interface via the blockchain, where the car manufacturer, the electricity provider can connect to and have kind of creating a standard. And this could change a lot how the user experience is now for a driver of an electric car 
could become much much easier by just parking the car plugging plugging it in and then you're done because all the other things are handled automatically by the car itself not by you so you don't need to swipe a credit card or something like this your car can identify itself on the blockchain so that's that's a, a prototype we have built a working prototype so that's completed um so we could we have something in Köln where we have testing it and we are now looking into having a test bed in Berlin with a, something like 10 or 20 cars and some real charging stations where we want to test it in real life how it's working I, I wonder about the uh, about the efficiency of inductive charging, though. I mean, you know, as, as far as I was aware, Tesla never made that much progress with uh, with, <laughs> with his wireless energy transmission. How do you solve the problem of of efficiency at by you know charging at the traffic light? So actually, we are not trying to solve it as Slocket, but I have been to San Diego two weeks ago at Qualcomm headquarters and they have solutions for it and they are working very much on it and very hard on it to have very efficient inductive charging stations. So that's something they are working on, not us. So we are only working on connecting those things to the car via the blockchain. But inductive car charging is one topic, but also traditional car charging stations where you just plug it in your car. Also there, it's very helpful to have blockchain involved because the billing process gets sim much gets simplified. Also right now, all those charging stations are in a VPN tunnel and it's not 100% secure. But if you have them decentralized, it could mean that even me as a private homeowner could have a plug out on my parking slot and someone could charge their car there and I get some money for it. So it's because then you have a decentralized infrastructure and everyone could participate there. So there are a lot of reasons for doing so. But we are not really working on the hardware level there in the sense of improving the inductive charging. We are more working on connecting the car and the charging station to the blockchain via a smart contract to simplify the whole process. So, well, I currently work a lot on the DEO. I think this is a very, very interesting topic if you want to speak more about this because we are very close. Someone will launch it, hopefully. We also try to... Stay as we did take a step back in a sense of we wanted the community to take control of the DO, and we have seen this happening in our um, Slack channels. We have about 3,800 people now. We saw some of them really step up building a website, building forums, discussing stuff. So we kind of see right now that the DO is basically under control of the community, which is really, really nice. And we have just recently made a security audit on the smart contracts. So we have yeah, built in some features now. And I, I think the smart contracts are done right now. We are only doing testing. And up to now, it looks very good that I would say smart contracts are done. We had, of course, needed to look in all the legal stuff in sense of how taxes and like if you have a contract as a DO, how do you explain this to your tax authorities and all of this? So we have some news coming up in the next couple of days on our blog post. Um, how we will go about this. So it looks like we are very, very close um, that the DO will be launched, that people can participate in the DO by sending Ether to it. They create DO tokens and then they are in full control of what is happening there. It's very important to notice that this is not a token sale or a crowdfunding as you have known this from the past. Since when people sending Ether to the DO, nothing of it will go to us. We don't own any of the DO tokens and nothing of the Ether will go to us directly. It is completely controlled by the DO token holders. And then we and also other, we actually know of two or three other companies who want to make a proposal to the DO, what they will develop for them, what kind of products. And then those token holders can, by voting, decide where they will yeah, enter into an agreement. And this also is nice because it just don't, they don't send a lump sum, like give us X millions, we build it for you. 
It's actually also a smart contract where you have a monthly payment and after some milestones you get paid. So just as in the real world. And that's something which is very exciting for me to see how this decentralized organization stays in complete control of the funds and decides on its own who it will contract with. And when they contract with them, it's also not just like in a crowdfunding or Kickstarter, they just get money, but really you have monthly payments. The DO can even increase or decrease the monthly payments depending on what they think is a good monthly burning rate for this project. So the DO really stays completely in control. I think this is also a social experiment and I'm really excited to see how this will go about. But it's exciting to see that we get so much support that thousands of people are in our Slack discussing those ideas and we have a lot of people very excited and we hope to see a very successful DO very soon. And I'm also interested to see in which kind of projects they will get involved in. Not only the Slogit project saying the decentralization of the sharing economy, for example, through the Ethereum computer, but maybe they will also put Ether into other projects which they want to see happen. And this will be very exciting to see. And they can even say we will have another funding period and try to have a, something comparable to Stereo's ABC in the startup world. The DO could go through the same thing because they have the ability, for example, to update their smart contract by voting, by deploying a new one and moving all the, their Ether and everything else to the new contract if they get more than 50% of the votes. So it's a very, very interesting concept. And I'm very excited to see how those things evolve. And we have, it did take more time than we expected to develop all of this and to get the legal side and the technical side and all those things in place. But on the other side, I'm also very happy that in this time, the community was growing and growing. And we really saw what we wanted to see, namely a decentralization of the whole process and by other people or the community taking over this process. So I'm very happy with what we saw in the last couple of weeks. Although some people just see it as a delay. I actually see it as a moving from Slocket being responsible for those things, moving to shift things to the community and it worked out very well. So I'm very excited to see how the DO will go. Well, this is really a way of representing uh, these uh, or of providing a, a means of formally representing uh, business relationships that are present in these gigantic online communities that we've seen in the cryptocurrency space for, um, for a few years, really. You mean DOs in general? Yeah. Yeah, it, it depends on, but they're all very different. We all say DAO, but sometimes it means something completely different. But something like this, I have never seen something where they are in 100% control of the money or the, not money, it's ether they have put into this. And so sometimes some communities give some control to some members. But for, for example, in this DO, if people are unhappy, they actually can say, I will retrieve my ether and get my ether back and I will not be participating in this anymore. They burn their DO tokens by doing so, but can get their ether back. I don't know of any DEO where this is possible. Maybe there exists one. Maybe I just don't know about it. But I'm very excited to see this yeah, emergent process of DEO creation and particip participation and see... Um, uh, my, my, sorry, I have, a lot, lot, I have a strong German accent. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I, I think this DO model, as we have started it, is very unique. I don't know of anything like it. You could say the Bitcoin network itself is a DO in some sense, because you have miners, you have people who are holding Bitcoins, and in a sense, they are a DO itself. So a lot of things can be called something like a DO, but I think there's nothing out there compared to this where people stay in full control over their ether and can fund projects, buy products and do whatever they want to. So um, so the big question is, how far off is this DAO? 
I hate to give a date because we know from Ethereum times we always have two books, you know, when people say we have a date and then we say two weeks later, two weeks later, two weeks later. So we always refrain from giving any date. <laughs> but from yeah. our side, I think the smart contracts are done right now. The legal framework we are building, which will be announced very shortly, is done in a couple of days, let's say maybe one or two weeks. But it's, again, I don't give a date. And then eventually the community will deploy this DO because it's theirs. And we have we are in contact with some members of the community which want to do this. But like all the details or some of the details will still get ironed out. But in general, I feel we are very, very close. Just stay you can you can subscribe to our email newsletter on our website and you will get a notification when it starts. But yes, it it did took much longer than we did anticipate, but also it now has a much better ground and the smart contracts are much in a much better shape and this from a security point of view. Um also from answering the hard questions about taxes and legal framework. We are now in a much better position than we have been a couple of weeks ago. And so I feel it was worth waiting and delaying it. But yes, we are I feel we are very close, but I don't give you a date. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I know it's totally unfair. I just had, um, like I said, I was speaking to um, to Aaron. Um, I know I was speaking to Nick Dodson about uh, boardroom, and he was saying two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Yes, you always go two weeks. <laughs> it's always two a, weeks. Away. As a developer, you know you can get things done in like one, two, or three days, and then you test them, and then maybe you find something takes another two or three days, and then you're about two weeks. But then what? What, what our problem really was, what I found. You have a lot of dependencies, even though my smart contract is ready now. But then you see, well, there is a legal questions we need to answer. We need to find a solution to it. And then those things are very slow. And then someone in the community finds something in the smart contract, a kind of an attack vector. And that changes everything. You need to change a lot of things in the smart contract. And this problem raises another problem. But I'm very happy that I can see there is an end in complexity. And I stopped implementing all the features the community wanted because... By doing so, it would never stop. So currently, we are in a complete code freeze, and I don't change anything to smart contracts unless it's a security issue. But there is no additional features I will implement now. And we are testing it. Many of the people are testing it right now. It looks, at, you know, as I said, very, very, very close. But I'm very happy that we never did give a date, because if we would we would have done the same thing at Ethereum and delaying it and delaying it. So we can say we never delayed it because we never did <laughs> give a date. But it will come to surprise by many people because very soon we will announce that we found a DO we will work together with. We may Because basically everyone can deploy a DO today. I actually do several DOs a day by testing. So you cannot really say when it's starting because yeah, I almost deploy a DO every day. But only when we say this is the DO that we will make a proposal to, I think then people will take interest in this one and participate in the creation and sending Ether to it. And this will happen very soon. That's all I can say. Fantastic. Hey, that's actually a perfect wrap right there. I'll, um, so where can people find out more about Slockit? So, of course, on our webpage, slock.it. Um, you can subscribe to your newsletter. And you can also join our Slack channels where there's a very nice discussion about all those topics, about Ethereum computer, about the DO, about Slockit in general, about Ethereum in general, and about all, a lot of other stuff. And there's a link on our website, Slockit. You can click the link and then you get an invite to our Slack. And also you can follow our Twitter account at Slocket Project. We also keep you up to date there. Fantastic. Hey, thanks so much, Christoph. It's like, I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. Everyone speaks really highly of you. So like, thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a, um, it's great to meet one of the titans of the space, so to speak. It was a pleasure to meet with you and happy to answer a question in the future. I think we will see a lot of things happening in the next couple of months. Thank you, Christoph. 
And thanks for listening to the Ether Review. Check it out at letstalkbitcoin.com and on Twitter at Ether Review.